another Friday podcast with Beaches Audio Adventures, and we've got Mike Knott from Thunder Bay. How's it going? We're starting this a little earlier than normal. Usually I bring a beer, but it seems a little too early for beers, so I poured an orange juice and uh, put some Tito's vodka in there. So anyways, uh, Tito's is good stuff. So who do we have for a guest today? Well, we've got uh, Dr. Jim Bogus, who is hanging out in Scottsdale, Arizona, out in the middle of the desert. Hi, Jim. Hello, all. Thanks for having me. We've got Jim here because after our last podcast, he sent a comment that said, you know, it's worth making a point about the difference between traveling on your own someplace and taking an organized tour. And I thought, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't you join us and talk about it? And so that's how Jim ended up here. Talking to you today, we've got a variety of different perspectives on traveling, particularly in Europe, with me as tour guide and tour organizer, Mike not as part of the staff when he's driving the van or as a client when he still does indeed come back as a paying client, and Jim as a a client on our tours and one writer who has traveled on his own over in Europe. So he brings that perspective to today's conversation. And Robbie, you know, that's a good subject too, because we do get a decent amount of people asking about touring on their own. And we often talk about these things at some of the seminars we do, positives and negatives. Oh, it's, it's great to have another perspective here. It, it's very appealing when you're on these trips to say, you know, I could do this. You know, it doesn't look that hard. I was lulled into that. I was gullible enough to try it. And I wouldn't say it was all bad, but I would say that I came out of it with a, a much greater appreciation for the amount of work and effort, time that goes into these trips. I, I did one on my own with my wife and I and my buddy Ron, which I know Gretchen and Rob know well. It sucked a lot of the fun out of it for me. Uh, planning the routes, uh, I had several books. Uh, I had two old tour books. I had uh, bought a couple of uh, books online of the King of the Alps books. It's not as easy as it looks. I also had a, a very great appreciation of the van. Trying to travel two up out of two saddlebags and a top case, which is a leg breaker, not easy. It's a lot of laundry in the sinks at night. It's something that I don't regret having done it, but I wouldn't do it again. And I've done I don't know, half a dozen trips with Rob and Gretchen. And I've done a, a couple other trips with a couple other tour companies. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that the product that Rob and Gretchen provide was the best that I've found. It's very difficult if you want to do a two-week-plus trip in Europe. Find a, a tour company that does that. There are not that many that do it. There's lots of companies out there that will do three-day, five-day, seven-day trips. But to do a two-week trip, there's not that many. The other thing that makes beaches really unique is the fact that it's not follow the leader, which is what attracted me to you all in the first place. Having the option to go on your own, any route you choose, I have not found that in any other company in Europe. And I have looked at dozens of them. And it's what keeps you guys unique. And it's uh, as why I'm when our next trip is going to be uh, New Zealand. I think on my last trip with Rob, he actually said, Jim, I think you've done about every pass there is to do in Europe. And that's probably true, but it doesn't matter because I can do them all over again and they're totally new experiences. We had a, a, a trip years ago where we went down a pass. Rob said, when you get to the end of it, turn around and come the other way. And it was like a completely different pass. So it doesn't matter how many times you do these trips. It's always new. It's always exciting. It's, it's always something new to discover. 
And that's, uh, that's what I think every traveler is bound to discover the more they travel. That's interesting, Jim. Rob and I were just talking about that last podcast, that exact point and that depending on the season you go, the time of day sometimes we're talking about the movement of, of livestock or weather, it's cloudy, it's not cloudy. It truly is. The passes can change, traffic conditions, of course. Just curious, when you did your tour on your own, were you booking hotels in advance or were you arriving, kind of stopping where you thought you had enough and then go find a hotel? I kind of winged it on the hotels and I didn't have any problems. I just used hotels.com app. It's a, I have a big appreciation for what goes on in this because it's not that easy. It sounds easy, but there's always hiccups. I did a tour with a friend who was born in Portugal, which is good because he speaks Portuguese. I have real trouble with that language. But he said, why don't you come along with my wife and I, and we're going to tour a bit of Portugal. So we went with them, more, a motorcycle tour, of course. And he didn't want to book any hotels. He said, well, we'll just wing it. It's a small country. We can do this. We can do that. But uh, I kind of like having some things planned at the very least. So I booked some hotels. And what I found was we ended up stopping sooner than we wanted to because around four o'clock, three o'clock, it's like we want to find a hotel to make sure we get something. So we ended up, we ended up stopping earlier and then didn't really go out. The other problem was because like you were saying, we had all our stuff with us. So one of the motorcycles only had soft bags. They didn't want to leave the bike anywhere. They're concerned about theft because you couldn't lock the soft bags down. So sometimes we would stop to see the castle or the interesting landmark and somebody would always stay with the bike. It just, it was a real negative from that point of view. Uh, um, I really, like you said, you really appreciate having some people like the idea that, Hey, if we don't have a hotel booked, I can stay in this town if I want, or I can travel eight more hours if I want. And yeah, theory, that sounds just wonderful. But the negative is that you don't have hotel. So you probably can't travel eight more hours <laughs> unless you want to be looking for a hotel at nine o'clock at night. But when you're on a more organized tour, that's not a problem. Yeah, you can travel the passes till nine o'clock or you find that really neat restaurant at the top of the Mount Pass. You think, I want to see the sunset from this pass. No yeah. problem. You just give them a call, say, guys, have supper without me. We're going to sit at the top of the mountain and watch the sunset. You have a great time then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing too, I can remember distinctly a, a trip. We were in Araba. And we had a free day and a free day. It was just hosing rain, your phrase, hosing. <laughs> and I had looked at the map and I said, you know, Rob, we're not that far from Venice. And I would really like to check out Venice. Well, the next thing I know, there was about eight or 10 of us that wanted to go to Venice. And Rob had it arranged within about an hour and a half to have a van take us to Venice or not. So that's kind of a nice thing, too. If something happens, something comes up. Yes, um, chances are pretty good. He's going to be able to do what you want to do and arrange it for you. So that was something that we had never been there before. And it was a great thing to do on a day where it was raining and we probably wouldn't have done anything anyway. That's another advantage of having a professional tour operator is they have connections. They can get things done uh, on a moment's notice. It's worth it. People think that you're on this tour and that, that wasn't scheduled in. The trip to Venice wasn't scheduled in. So obviously you're not going there. <laughs> when yeah. all it took was even if you want to go by yourself it could have been arranged but certainly a group of you want to go yeah that's even easier because we can get a 
bus take you all to Venice. Where some people, what do they call the confirmation bias? They think, well, that tour is nice, but I want to go to Venice and it doesn't have Venice. So I might as well go do my own thing. Um, when no, things like this are possible if you're with the right company. Yeah, that's, that's an important thing. But stop for a minute, guys, and tell me about the positive side of going on your own. What, what were the things that were an advantage there? Because, you know, people are going to listen to this and think, well, it, it can't be all that bad. And it's not. It really isn't. Everybody should go travel in Europe, whether you're doing it on your own or you're doing it with an organized tour. It really is such a special place to ride motorcycles that I encourage you to get there regardless of how. So uh, what, what are the positive points of traveling on your own? If I'm in a city and I like it and I'm eating dinner and it decides to start really raining hard, and boy, I just don't want to go another 100 kilometers. I have the option of hopping on my phone and well, there's a hotel down the block. We're just going to stay here the night. That was the biggest advantage is I could avoid things that I wanted to avoid if I wanted to. Um, the other advantage was, uh, you know, I got to pick and choose the order and the route that I wanted to do. And to be honest with you, I, I kind of cannibalized a lot from old tour books that you had. So I was able to have kind of a leg up of where I wanted to stop and how long. But yeah, having the, the flexibility to do what you want and stay as long as you want and avoid weather, or avoid crowds is probably the biggest advantage to me. You know, to go back though, one of the other disadvantages and one of the things that kind of worried me a little bit when I did do it on my own was we had rented BMWs uh, from a dealership outside of Zurich. And I was a little concerned about if I had mechanical problems, what am I going to do? I'm going to call somebody 400 kilometers away and how's that going to be taken care of? Thank God I didn't have a problem. But if I had, it would have been a monumental thorn in my side and uh, really put a, a, a dent in the trip. Um, so that's another thing to consider as well. Uh, if you do do it on your own, which you're right, it is a good thing to do. Make sure you're renting a brand new bike with, with a good warranty and all that and, and know where to get help if you need it. Yeah, when we were in Portugal, we go there, I rented a GS. Get there, no GS because there was uh, something wrong on it. Uh, they couldn't get the part. There's a recall or something. So they gave us uh, a Honda the NC700, I think. Um, it was okay bike. It was kind of overwhelmed with the two of us. We're not big people. It was still kind of, it's really a single rider bike. But anyways, take off one of those Hondas that never breaks. Partway through the trip, uh, wheel bearing went on it. And it was a fairly new bike, but but everything can break, not a big deal. So again, I was lucky my friend with his Portuguese, because we're in, a lot of Portugal is not very touristy. The Southern part is very touristy. They're used to dealing with tourists and the, their English skills are very good, far better than my Portuguese, which isn't a high bar to clear. But uh, we find a dealership, a Honda dealership. We got the bike repaired. It only took a couple hours, if that. Didn't cost much money. We called the provider of the motorcycle and he said, yeah, if you, if you can just pay for it and I'll take it off your bill. So away we went. So it wasn't uh, terrible. And that, that could have happened in a, in a tour also, although with the right tour company, they can unload the spare bike and away you go and they'll, they'll deal with it on their own. Luckily it was an easy fix, but had that part been something not common that they needed to order and take two or three days, we were, we would have been stuck. That's where we would have sat and it wasn't anything special of a town, I can tell you that. Or if that bearing had spun on a Saturday afternoon and the shop is closed for the rest of Saturday and Sunday and possibly Monday. Yeah. And so they're not even looking at the bike until 
Monday morning at best and possibly Tuesday morning. Yeah. Uh, and, and on a two-week vacation, that two or three days is a very, very big deal. So now you booked your hotel for the next night. You may be paying for that one plus the other one because they're not taking a cancellation. So who knows? It's uh, Yeah, that's the gamble. And the, the other point that I'll make, Jim, is you were traveling on your own in an area that you actually knew reasonably well. You had been there before. Yeah. That's very true. And uh, what would have happened if you had gone in as a as a newbie and simply followed the research that you had without having any concept of the distance and the times? It definitely would have been troublesome. And it's just a hassle that you really have to weigh the pros and cons to if you want to take that kind of a, I hate to say risk, but it is. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something to certainly consider. So the big advantage, I think, to traveling on your own is really the price because there is a markup on every tour and the prices are certainly somewhat significant. But when you actually pull everything back out and use the same hotels, same quality of hotels, et cetera, the savings is really quite a bit smaller than you think. There are quite a few budget accommodations throughout Europe. You can stay in pensions and bed and breakfasts at very, very reasonable prices and eat out on the economy on your own and in town or wherever or picnic lunches or as you please. So you can do it for less than the price of an organized tour. But then the benefits and the, and the kind of insurance doesn't come along with it. I was thinking when you were talking about your wheel bearing problem, Mike, about a, an instance on tour where there were three fellows riding together and one of them, the leader of the group, slowed down for some very legitimate reason and the guy in the back wasn't paying attention at all and drove right into the back of him. Two bikes went down. Fortunately, neither of the riders were hurt at all, but the bikes were fairly torn up. And so here you've got a group of three and two motorcycles are now literally unrideable at that point in the, on the side of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting, but uh, Al Walker from New Zealand was driving our van, and I called Al, and I showed up on on the location, and Al showed up on location, and we unloaded all of the luggage from the van and the spare bike, put one rider on the spare bike, took the two crash bikes and made one out of them, uh, swapping quite a few parts on the side of the road. While these three guys all went and had lunch and were wrenching away like crazy and got a second motorcycle going and off they went. So they had a few hour delay after something that would have been truly a week long ordeal. That is a big difference. You're paying really for the insurance in addition to the expertise. It's just the, hey, I've only got two weeks here. I need to maximize it. And this is a way to do so. That's probably the biggest thing is is time, right? We, we can't buy back time. Uh, just to go back a bit. I always say money is a terrible reason to do or not do anything. Obviously, everybody only has X amount, some way more than others, but never take a job just because it pays more. Take a job because that's what you want to do. Hey, it's a bonus if it pays more, of course. Don't buy a motorcycle simply because it's cheaper than the other one. Buy it because that's the one you want. And I would say the same with travel. Don't take this trip because it's $1,000 cheaper than that one. If you don't have the $1,000, that's totally legitimate. But to do it just based on money, no, take the one you want to take if you have to save an extra year. Um, that's fine. So if you want to do this tour on your own, that's great. Don't do it because you want to save a buck. That's a terrible reason to do anything, I think. Yeah, I think what you were talking about earlier, Rob, is right. You're, you're actually paying for peace of mind. Getting back to the cost, I can tell you from firsthand experiences, it does not save you very much to do it on your own. I was absolutely shocked what it costs to rent a motorcycle per day in Europe. It was 
several times more than a car. I was disappointed, to be honest with you, how little I saved. And when I take into account the number of hours I put in in planning this and doing the routes, I wouldn't do it again on my own. Well, that the trip we did to Portugal, we were talking about organized tours. And my friend said, I don't think I'd ever do an organized one because I'm not spending X amount of dollars on one. And I said, but we're spending that now. No way. I said, so my wife is an efficiency expert and she can dig out a bill from literally 20 years ago and tell you how much we paid for that sofa, have the original receipt. But anyways, she knew exactly what we paid all in. And like I said, Jim, it, it was a little bit cheaper, not much. No, and not much at all. And the quality wasn't there in that we didn't really know where we're going. So uh, I, I guess that's, uh, we seem to only be talking about negatives, but that was certainly one, even though my friend was born in Portugal, hasn't really lived there in 30 years, but knew the country well, still didn't know the ins and outs of the roads. We didn't have a GPS because why would I bring a GPS? He said, I know all the roads. Yeah, he didn't. And <laughs> so when I started using my, using Google maps on my phone and some, we bought some maps and I ended up leading most of the way because he didn't know where the heck he was going. So. Yeah. Well, as we all know, GPS lies. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But a few times we were talking about this the other day too, and that a few times we were close to the coast and we wanted to get to the coast, but we couldn't quite figure out how to get to it a few times. And we didn't know if there was a road going there because one of the maps we had was too big a scale. It was the one we found. If had it been more prepared, I would have would have had more stuff like that, but we didn't think we needed it. So a GPS, I really wish I had one at that point just to say, hey, I want to get there. How do I get there? And the GPS could have guided us. The very first trip that I did with Rob was uh, the Oktoberfest Olio. Oh, I've done that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was back in the day of paper maps. Yeah. And in the morning, Rob would go over the route, and you'd have to write down what town to what town to what town to what town, and God help you if you missed one. Yeah. Um, Bonnie would sit on the back of the bike with a map all full of <laughs> right. She could hold right. on to it. <laughs> yeah. I, then, I would not do another trip without a GPS. Um, it just takes a lot of the hassle out of it for you. And like I said, you know, one of Rob's saying, and and I've kind of embraced it. You're never lost. You're exploring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we go, we go off route lots of times with the GPS. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes not. But as you're riding along, Bonnie often she helps out and she'll say, "Hey, you're off route right now." Oh, because you're looking at the road. Oh, damn. But then you just bring up the map and you see, oh, well, the route, the road routes back to that other road we're on. That's fine. We can keep on going. We'll get back on route. Not a big deal. But if you didn't have that, then you're, you'd probably be turning around because you have no idea where the road is going. So uh, uh, we better get back to that uh, road we're supposed to be on. On the other hand, getting lost is uh, one of the interesting parts of all of it. You know, like you're not lost if, if you've got more than half a tank of gas. That's true. But it is that exploration and that being out on your own a little bit or a whole lot, depending on how you're you're doing it with the tour that makes it a special day. That's that's when you remember your ride and your day because we were out there and we took the wrong turn. I was following Mike and he missed the turn and we all knew he missed the turn, but oh my gosh. And so he continued down the road and we couldn't catch him. And finally he stops and oh, the view was incredible. And there was a great restaurant there. And then we turned around and went back and got on route. But oh, it was just great. And those are the kind of stories that come up when people are out on their own 
and doing their own thing rather than simply following a guide. Well, you hear that sometimes when a few different groups are following a route maybe you have in the GPS and there's construction, roads closed. And so it's kind of neat at the end of the day. Okay, which way did you go? Well, we went that way. Well, and then one group will say, well, it wasn't really closed. We had to go through. It was mud and it was this, but they let us through. Well, we tried. They said, get lost. So we had to go to the south and we went north. Yeah, it's kind of neat. <laughs> which again is great about the GPS. Well, I can't go down this road. I was going to go down, but whatever. I know this road will get me back there. It's all good. <laughs> so Jim, how many people were with you in your in your group when you went on your own? Uh, just the three of us, my wife and I and uh, buddy Ron. Right, two um, bikes or three? Yeah, two bikes. Yeah. Uh, and I would not want to be responsible for any more than that. Um, that's one of the reasons when I ride on these trips, I generally ride by myself or, you know, if Ron's there, Ron will ride with us. I don't like riding, follow the leader. I don't like being responsible for somebody behind me. You know, I like to do my own thing. Rob and Gretchen will cornhole us and say, hey, you got to ride with us today. I want to get some photographs. All right. And usually, you know, the other thing too, like you said earlier, Rob, you know where all the really cool restaurants are. I, we were somewhere in the Alps and we were riding with you that day. And there was a fairly large group with you. And for lunch, you decided to go off route. We went up this goat track up this mountain in the Alps. Uh, where the hell are we going? It was quite a long ride. And when we got up there, and I can't remember where we were, but there was a little cabin at the top of this mountain overlooking the Alps. It was a postcard and you park your bike and I didn't even know it was a restaurant. We went in there and there's a little old lady there in a babushka and you said something to her and eh, okay, all right, sit down, we're gonna eat here. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was just surreal. It was like being in uh, the sound of music. So that was something that, I mean, it's a memory I will never forget. Sandy as well. The other one was we were in uh, Tuscany and we had a picnic and it was fallish and the leaves were turning we stopped somewhere in the middle of a forest and a van there there was a, we had a little picnic and he just said this is magic and i said you know there are not many things that i would say are magical you're right this really was those are memories you can't buy i mean it's something that'll stick with you forever you know those spots i don't know those spots well that's another reason that it's kind of nice at times to have a guide you've been doing this your whole life yeah it's it's nice to be able to rely on somebody's experience sometimes and just kind of take some of the hassle and worry off of you so when we're talking about positives and negatives of this i think why we're having some trouble finding some of the positives is a lot of the negatives don't apply to the way you run your tours yeah. Um, so let's look at it. if you're with some other companies came to my mind. One of the things is you just mentioned how you rode with your wife on the back and one other rider. And I think a lot of motorcyclists are like this. I know I've been over the years, you know, people you don't want to ride with anymore. It might be, even be friends, but they ride slower, faster, do kind of dumb things, whatever it be. Uh, they want to have a cigarette every 10 minutes, whatever it is. Right. So when you're organize your own thing you can totally do that you can say well we're going on a tour i'm going to ask bob to come with me and mary because i like traveling with them and that's that's my group and that's who you're going to ride with but when you're in some organized tours well you're in this group of 10 bikes whatever whatever the number be and you're number eight in line and i hope you like being number eight in line here's the people you're riding with so that's definitely a negative compared to being able to pick your own thing we we don't do that of course you you can go do whatever you want anytime that's a real good point, Mike. I just did a trip on another tour company to Corsica and Sardinia. And 
it was a fairly small group. Uh, I think there were five riders in the guide. And the problem was it was follow the leader. And I ride, I think I ride fairly quick. I mean, there's always somebody quicker. But I like to ride fairly hard, round two. And I was generally the first bike behind the guide. That guide consistently rode 10% faster than I could ride. And I always have to say to myself, ride your own ride, ride your own ride. Because you find yourself pushing yourself where it's not safe. And I had to pull him aside a couple of times and tell him just that you're riding a hair too hard for the rest of us. And you're pushing people who shouldn't be riding that fast to ride fast. But it was something that you have to be a, a, pay attention to that kind of thing. And ride your own ride is a really good phrase to say to yourself throughout these trips. I've been working at beaches a bit, doing a little bit of guiding. Rob is really good at being aware of who you're riding with, their skill level. And I've ridden with people. If they're supposed to be riding their own ride. There's a couple of guys. I can think of right away that if I was passing a car, they were passing the car no matter what. And so I remember one time there was a car I wanted to get around and I waited to pass. And Bonnie said to me, we had the intercom system. She said, oh, why didn't you pass that car? I said, because Ben can't make it. And Joe, she's like, well, what does that matter? I said, because if I pass, they're passing. So I'm going to wait. <laughs> she said, well, they shouldn't be doing that. You're 100% correct. It doesn't matter because they are. <laughs> so, th so there's a skill or skill set involved in leading a group like that. And um, when you're not dealing with someone who normally does that, they, they can forget that or not know it or, or not care. Well, to be fair, most of the tour guides on other tours are good guys. You know, they're good riders. They know what they're doing and they do a good job on it. It is keeping a tight group together like that and how the guide does it that is, I think, one of the important things. Yeah, no, I was thinking more just if you're, so you're riding with your buddies and Bill's going to lead the group. Uh, Bill may or may not know what <laughs> what's up. Yep. Well, it's it's important that you always ride your own ride, as, as Jim mentioned. That's number one thing, regardless of where you are and who you're with. A little tale I'll tell about a fellow who was on tour with us, and he went out and rode with me near the tail end of the tour. He rode with me for a day and a half, and he was not happy. I mean, he was really visibly not happy with what was going on, and I couldn't pin him down and couldn't get an answer. So the tour was over, and he went home, and darn if the next spring he didn't sign up and come back on another tour. And so after a few days... He was riding with me, and I we had lunch somewhere, and I said, Norm, you're back again this year. He said, yeah. I said, I don't understand that. You hated that tour last year. You were not happy with me. He said, no, I wasn't. Not at all. And I said, why? He said, because you suck as a tour guide. <laughs> and I, I said, really? I said, uh, okay, but you're back. And he said, yeah, that's because I went home and I thought about it. And I thought really hard about it. And it wasn't that you suck as a tour guide. He said, when we were riding together last year, you always knew exactly where I was. I never got lost. You were waiting at every single corner. And when I got there, you were clearly in sight. I could make the turn with no problem at all. He said, what you did do, however, was disappear over the hill. And that really annoyed me because you were supposed to be eight feet in front of me. I was supposed to be following you. And that is what a tour guide does. And I said, but you're back. And he said, yeah. He said, I realized that that isn't what a tour guide should be doing. You were supposed to be guiding me on the route, not showing me how to get around a corner. And uh, that was an interesting observation from his standpoint in that that really is the case. And that, that is something that I work very hard to not do unless we're sitting and training is to be the example for people. I'm the guide but you've got to ride your own ride. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's a big difference. And or if the person's saying, hey, uh, do, do you mind if I follow you a bit? I just, I want to watch you go through the turns. You're doing, yeah. you're doing hairpins so well. Can you just 
go down a bit. I want to see what it is maybe I'm not doing right, which is a totally different situation. Right. And I will slow down considerably if people are following me and tagged on and, and being dragged along, as you mentioned, Jim. If, you know, if people are riding over their heads because they're sticking with me, then my speed changes considerably. I, I've been in a group with you and you've yeah, waved, waved ahead a couple of people because there's a couple others that are maybe over their head and they're not riding their own ride. So, okay, mm -hmm. you guys go mm -hmm. ahead and I'm going to slow down a bit and just try and keep these people safe. Yep. And that's the important thing. I remember on that Oktoberfest Oleo trip riding behind Rob, and I got the distinct impression, and Rob, you can confirm this or not, that when you have new people on your trip, you're kind of watching them in the mirror, and you're you're judging, can this guy ride? Can this guy not ride? Do I have to worry about him, or can I kind of leave him go? Or I, I did have that kind of sense at times, which is okay. And I remember one evening at dinner, too, after riding with a big group, you gave some pointers. Hey, if you're going into a right-hand turn, you're having to correct that turn halfway through. You're starting that turn too early. So you actually can actually look at these riders in your mirror and give some advice, which is sometimes needed. That's another nice thing too. And being able to watch your lines, any guide, you or any of the guides, go through these corners is really interesting because you guys really know what you're doing. I know when I've taken groups out, depending on their experience, something simple as splitting lanes, depending on what country you're in, it's frowned upon or totally acceptable. But even when you're in a country where it's acceptable, if you have people who just aren't used to doing that, certainly not in the first few days. And if I know we're getting to somewhere where our hotel is more into a populated area, if you stop, say, are you okay with splitting lanes? Okay, but take it easy. If in doubt, stop. Or there's lots of tips, right? But that's not something you do in the first few days because there's too much going on. Until yes. you're in Palermo, which is an absolute free-for-all. <laughs> Italy, Italy is unique in Europe. You know, you don't drive, you aim. But Palermo made the rest of Italy look tame. Yes, I was I was riding through the city there just laughing because it was so silly as I went through. Every single light in the intersection was opposite of what I was supposed to be doing, but the traffic <laughs> moved. Yeah, it, um, lights are merely suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things we haven't talked about really is hotels. There's lots of information on the internet and stuff, but sometimes things look amazing in pictures and are terrible and can also be the opposite. I know one of the hotels we recently stayed at, uh, the little island La Madalena. Is that correct, Rob? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a super, super cool place. So finding those really neat hotels, as much as there's information on the internet, first-hand knowledge makes a big difference uh, because there's so much involved. Even that hotel, had it been, I think it was about 25 Celsius, which is, I don't know, 150 Fahrenheit, something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a nice day. They had a place to swim on the Tyranian Sea. It was, it was just beautiful. But had it been 10 sea cooler, well, we, we wouldn't have been swimming. It wouldn't have been so great. Not so great a place to be because you couldn't sit outside. That's where it's gorgeous. So combining those things. Yeah, it's a beautiful hotel, but you got to go there at the right time of year also. So there's many things like that too. <laughs> And there's a there's a bit of luck to it all. You know, Jim, you mentioned a couple of very memorable times on tour that, that were magic. And that stuff happens, but it's not something that can be contrived and it's not something that can be planned. It just happens. We've got places that we like to have picnics, but we don't do it routinely and regularly. We do it when it feels right. And a lot of that magic is, as you pointed out, Mike, you're in the right hotel in the right place with the right weather. It's memorable. And those are, those are the really cool things on tour that are going to happen, whether you're on your own or not, that magic is there. But if you go out and keep 
searching really hard for it and look for it, it's not necessarily going to be there. It, it's something that happens serendipitously rather than uh, contrived. You, you can't make magic. It just happens. You know, I would say one of the things I've certainly learned spending time in Europe is patience. Uh, I don't come by it naturally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's an understatement, folks. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so working for beaches, mo mostly... I'd say more so in Italy, right? You need to go to the motorcycle shop and get a part. You get there at noon and they're closed for two and a half hours. You come back two and a half hours later, they're still not open because, because. Uh, so it's more like three and a half hours. So you learn things like that. I remember being on a tour with you where you came to the group and said, okay, here's the deal. We're supposed to get on a ferry tomorrow to get off of Corsica, go back to mainland Italy. But the ferry company says, we don't really have ferry tickets, even though we're holding in our hands copies of ferry tickets the company's saying maybe you do maybe you don't we don't know and so when you your language skills are fairly good in, in most of the countries we go to so it's way easier to deal with that kind of nonsense uh, compared to yeah i have zero italian so i, I even less probably would have got done but it's nice to know you came and told us that and said don't worry we're on it if we can't get on here's what we're doing if we can get on the ferry carry on about the way we're supposed to but if we can't here's what we're going to do so it's nice yeah you're dealing with that we go riding and I don't think that's such a rare occurrence in, in Italy. That's not a rare occurrence anywhere, actually. We were on tour last year in Switzerland up on top of the mountain at the Gornagrat, and uh, it started to snow at night. It was a cold snap that came through, and it started to snow. And that became quite a big issue because our next hotel was suddenly a place that we could not get to at all because the mountain passes were all closed. So we had to reroute the tour, the entire tour, by a day, find another hotel at last minute notice. I mean, really and truly, it was quite an interesting endeavor for both Gretchen and I to figure out which way we wanted to go in order to complete the tour and uh, what to do with this huge weather problem, which is, uh, it doesn't happen often, but it's not something that, that, that's not the first time that's happened to us. Yeah, I remember last time we were in Decentis, we left there and it was raining. It was only about five Celsius. So just above freezing. And we start climbing the pass, climbing the pass, and it was snowing at the top of the pass. But I remember as we're going up, it turned to snow, and Bonnie says to me, it's snowing out. I said, yeah, 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 it's snowing. But remember, the ground is warm, so the snow is not going to build up. We got to the top of the pass, and yeah, there was six inches of snow on the ground. Okay, so it shows you what I know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it happens, right? And three hours down the road, we stopped at a restaurant for lunch and they couldn't believe when we told them there was a schnee in the mountain lake because it wasn't there but mountain weather who knows yeah. so i guess maybe that's an advantage when we're looking at advantages is if you need to change your plans you need to book two hotels maybe three or, or hotel rooms as opposed to you might need to book a dozen hotel rooms which becomes of course far more difficult roughly four times more yeah that, that was an interesting problem but we got through it we got through it and kept everybody more than happy actually it turned out to be a great great endeavor well i always say if the weather's perfect and everything goes along perfectly it's somehow not as memorable as if things go sideways sometimes you don't want anybody hurt or anything but well i will talk about riding over the mountain pass with the snow forever i have a little video of it it's super cool I, I don't really have a video of us going over the mountain pass with no snow you know what i mean oh see here's where nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> so there's a a book called undaunted courage about the lewis and clark expedition they write in that book that they had never really experienced their uh, encounters with grizzly bears as they uh, had gotten farther and farther west and after a couple of experiences clark wrote 
my, my curiosity has been satisfied with these beasts. Having ridden in the snow on a street bike more than once, my curiosity about riding a street bike <laughs> in the snow has been completely satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Jim, uh, riding on your own, doing your own tour like that, has it given you a new, I don't know if respect is the right word, but a new idea of how much stuff you need to bring with you or, more importantly, how much stuff you don't need? Yeah. You know, our very first trip, we certainly overpacked. And the, the more and more of these trips that I do, the less and less that I pack. You know, I'm wearing a lot of uh, lightweight, Under Armour type of clothing. The big thing is just have good riding gear. Have all-weather, all-season riding gear. I um, mean, you're going to pay a lot of money for it and it's worth every penny. Underneath that, dress light. Dress in something that you can wash easily and dries quickly. You really don't need that much. The hotel soap is just fine. Don't bother with it. I've got one plug adapter that has a European plug, and it's, I've got four U.S. outlets on it, a little thick with it. So I can charge everything I need to with just basically that one. It's got USB outlets on it. So I can charge my GPS, my communicators, everything's done with just that one little strip. So be smart in what you're packing. Think about it. Ask. It's your first tour, Rob or Gretchen, an email. Say, hey, this is what I've got planned to take. What do you think? What am I missing? Uh, they'll be more than happy to tell you. Um, so listen to good advice. Yeah, that's certainly, a, from my perspective, of having to haul the luggage is that <laughs> generally people bring way too much stuff. I, I keep floating the idea that there should be a prize at the end of the tour for the lightest packer or something. And it's not even that I don't like carrying or whatever. Of course, it's, some, it's not so much fun in a lot of places, but it's not that big a deal. I just, I think it's it's totally unnecessary. And, and you generally have to haul this stuff to an airport or something. You're, you're riding gear, like you said, with modern kind of technology of electronic devices and everything else modern riding wear, you only need a few different things to wear under your gear, but no one really sees it. Do you want to want to make sure you're not, you know, you can wear clean gear. So, but stuff, a lot of the wash and wear stuff will dry overnight. Yeah. So we're bringing far less stuff. But that is an advantage of the van is that you don't have to worry quite as much about what you're bringing along uh, as you do when you're traveling on your own. So one of the things I would say, a bit of a false thing people believe is that everybody in Europe speaks English. You don't need to know a language, another language, because of course everyone speaks English. And that's sort of true, not really, depending on where you are. I often say, and of course, Robbie could speak to a lot better than I can, but major centers, usually, yes, you'll find someone who will have some kind of English to some degree. We've stopped at places that are in the back country because that's where a lot of the neat stuff is. So you're in some little town and they don't speak English. And just because you're in Germany doesn't mean they speak German. And just because yeah. you're in Italy doesn't mean they speak Italian because that Italian town maybe used to be German because the borders have bounced back and forth. They've been quite fluid over the years. You think, well, my German is quite good and we're in Germany. I'll, even if they don't speak English, I'll be quite fine. Now, yeah, I know maybe that hotel, they only speak Italian and I say that because we stopped in a town in Italy, uh, I think it was in Murano, I can't remember where now, but it was at the base of the Timolziak, I think, and we're in Italy, and they spoke only German, which is good, because I have some decent, I have a decent amount of German, <laughs> <laughs> certainly way more than Italian, and the woman spoke no English, nobody in the hotel did, it was a nice little hotel, because Bonnie tried talking to this woman, she, no, no English, but I was able to converse with her, I'm sure we could, <laughs> got it done with some sign language and everything, either way, but it's just way easier if you can speak their language, get a few things done, I could ask her a few questions, that's 
one of the things that's way easier when that that kind of thing is taken care of for you and that's a simple thing it's just a hotel room never mind if you have some type of problem we have been in france where bonnie needed to go see a doctor and we're, we're with uh, on a guided tour and you helped us find where a doctor's office was yeah it just becomes difficult yeah i wouldn't let the language barrier stop you or impede you in any way i was actually embarrassed at how many people know english over there and how none of us know anything. I actually went and got the Rosetta Stone for German. I think they really appreciate it if you at least make an attempt to speak their language. And you know what, a lot of, especially German language is so similar to English that you learn that little bit, learn, I would say you learn some numbers, so please and thank you, order a beer or a wine or whatever your uh, vodka and orange juice, whatever, whatever it is you like and learn what meat is or chicken. You can generally look at a menu and stuff and look at things yeah. because a yeah. lot of language, they say, a lot of language, you only use X amount of a small percentage of the words for most communication. So if you learn a, some of the basic stuff, hey, you're in pretty good shape. And if you have an encounter where you, you can't figure it out, well, then it becomes a really funny story to tell later on. <laughs> I mean, it's never that big of a deal. And you're in Europe, so you've yeah. got to expect it to some degree. Yeah. Um, One of the tips I always say to people is, don't ask somebody if they speak English because they may or may not, that might be the end of the conversation. Ask them what you want to know. So if you want to hold up the menu and say, is this meat or is this chicken, hamburger, they can yeah. usually tell you that. One of the things that we learned when we are riding on my own, on our own, Sandy and I, or Ron's with us, if we stop in one of these little towns in the Alps for lunch, we're going to go inside and eat. I'm going to pick a table at the very back of the restaurant and I'm looking at every plate as I go past. <laughs> the chances yep. are they're not going to have an, a menu in English. And if I see something that looks good, I just say, I want what that guy over there is eating. <laughs> okay. And, you know, usually it works out pretty well. I was also surprised, too, in especially Sicily, trying to find a place for lunch was hard. We had days where we rode all day long and didn't see another car. The whole day. Sicily was a really interesting place to visit. It, it, the whole country smelled like a perfume bottle. <laughs> people yeah. were... The people were so friendly. It was such a scenic place. I remember riding through the mountains there thinking the guys in the Second World War that invaded Sicily, they had it hard. You don't appreciate the kind of terrain they were fighting in until you see it. And you're like, holy cow, you know? But that, that was a trip that was really, really interesting. But it was hard to find a place for lunch, believe it or not. When you did, it was always great, but it was hard. You know, the other thing about these trips, too, is you meet people that often will become lifelong friends. I was just down visiting Ron. Uh, my buddy Ron English, who I met on my very first tour 15 years ago. And we're friends to this day. You know, Dennis Simon, I, I still am in contact with your resident artist. So you meet some really, really nice people. That's something that's uh, a, a real benefit too, and a, a real plus on these trips. Well, we seem to gather a very interesting group of people. I mean, most of our tour members, and I mean really and truly most, are very likable people, and uh, they're coming in with a very diverse set of life experiences behind them, which makes for very interesting dinner conversation. But the one thing that they all have in common is the fact that they love to travel and they like motorcycles. Can't go wrong. No, good combination. So one other thing I want to bring up is when you're doing a trip, especially with you, Rob, and I can compare this because I've done several other companies as well, you get the history of where you're going to. You're doing these trips on your own unless you're willing to really dive into some research and find out uh, this tower, what happened to this tower in 1400. You're going to miss out on a lot of things. Your tour book has a lot of the history of what you're seeing and your talks at night, at dinner time, really fill in a lot of gaps. 
you're riding through areas of different countries that are historically significant, World UNESCO heritage sites, and you expound on why that is and what happened here and what happened there that if you go on your own, you don't know unless you really put in a lot of legwork. And I always found those talks to be really quite interesting. So that's another plus about you. Most of the tour guides do that. You do it the best that I've heard and to more, uh, much more detail. Well, thank you. <laughs> that is one of the fascinating things about the places we're going is that they've got 2,000 years of history or more you know, where we can drill down into that and find out some of the things that happened. It really, really does add a significant dimension to the places we're going. Yeah, so that's a really an interesting look at touring with a group and touring on your own, eh, Mike? Definitely gives us tons of things to think about, and everybody's situation is a little bit different. Uh, what, of course, some people really like, other people not so much, maybe, but people can decide for themselves, of course. Other people that have to decide for themselves occasionally are passengers. Those hanging on to the back of the motorcycle while we're off having fun and hopefully the passengers having fun too. But I think we ought to get some passengers on here to talk to them. I think that'd be a great idea. That's often a bit of a pet peeve of mine for motorcycle magazines or reviews. They'll take out a touring bike and there's never the view of the, from the passenger standpoint. I think it's a really important view. Uh, they're often 50% of the decision-making process. <laughs> or more. <laughs> or, or sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> more yeah for sure for sure so and uh, we we seem to have covered the the male portion of opinion here maybe we can get a female opinion on this too that's a good idea tell you what i'll invite gretchen who has been a very capable and able and superb passenger for the last oh i don't know decade or so Let's see if you can come up with somebody <laughs> I think I have somebody in mind. <laughs> this will be right. It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Jim. This is it's been a great talking to you and Robbie. Thanks, guess, Mike. Nice to meet you. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we'll be on tour. I'll, maybe I'll be carrying your bag sometimes. Uh, sometime there. <laughs> it, it should be late. Thanks so much, Jim, for joining us. Uh, your insight is wonderful, and it's always great to talk to you. And uh, I look forward to riding with you again somewhere sometime soon. Robbie, I was thinking, you know, someday when we sell the movie rights to this, maybe Bruce Willis could play me. Uh, maybe yeah, sure. Uh, Anthony I can see Hopkins. that. Anthony yeah. Hopkins could play you, Rob. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gretchen, I dare you to flash him.